You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did he not who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect the justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people will walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you lead people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and now you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were coming. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, trying to catch him in something he might say. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in your private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we had a, a really fun week last week, really restorative week, actually. Nikki and I, were um, we do a family camp every year down in the Lake City area, and it's just a little south of Gunnison, absolutely beautiful. We go with about a dozen families or so, and um, really, really great. I'm a little sore because one of the highlights is we have a game where all the dads play all the counselors in floor hockey, and none of us really know what we're doing, and we forget that though the counselors are recycled and they're usually like 20 and 21 every single year, we get older and older every single year. So if you, if you see me periodically just sort of clutching this, that's, that's the soreness that comes from that. But we, we, we just have this absolute blast doing it. The families come together. We, we do goofy things like that in River Day and all sorts of stuff, just building some um, really fun connections there. But really the, the pinnacle of what we're doing and what, what the week is about is um, we teach a few breakout sessions with these parents. The kids go with their, um, with some counselors and things. And then we as parents, Nikki and I keep them, and we talk about what it means 
to disciple your kids. And as I'm looking at this text today, one of the things that we talked, and I know it's specifically to parents here, but one of the things that we talked about with parents, I think, regardless of where you are in life, you'll see the application here. Um, We talked with these parents about when we're raising kids, we are not just about whipping them into shape so that they behave a certain way and that's it that God wants to capture their hearts, that God wants a loving loving relationship with them and with their kids. We went to Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall, here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And then it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Notice how this starts. Because I can tell you, as a parent, uh, with two middle schoolers and a high schooler, it is tempting to just go, yeah, 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 let's get to the part, okay, I'm supposed to teach my kids stuff. All right, kids, sit down and listen, and let me just go through and tell you a bunch of stuff. And it goes so much deeper than that. It goes into um, modeling for them, but if you look, what it does is it says, um, he's talking to the community, and he's saying, love God, first and foremost, Love God first and foremost. And then there's truths about God that need to be passed down. And so pass those down to the next generation. Not just parents, by the way. He's talking to the community. That's why when we do VBS, you don't have to sit here and go, well, that's nice for the kids' ministry and nice for those families. This is us as a community investing in that next generation. So one of the things I was trying to convince the parents of, I don't know if I was effective or not, was to say, you go first and you love God like crazy, you obey the commands of God in every way, and then you pass that down to the next generation. It's the idea of a pitcher that you just pour out and pour out and pour out, and eventually it's gonna run out unless you are growing, unless you are being filled by God, unless you have a loving relationship with God. Because I can tell you the temptation as parents is to just say, I'm gonna skip over the me part I'll just pause me and my growth and my relationship with the Lord for like 20 years while I've got kids under my roof. Sounds healthy, doesn't it? And then I'll just pick it up as soon as they're gone. But for now, I've got to just tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them. And really the charge that he gives here is he says, God wants your heart. He wants to capture your heart. He wants you to love him. And then you demonstrate that to the next generation. You teach them, you tell them the wonderful things of God. And the very simple truth of what he's telling the Pharisees here today is he's saying, God wants your heart. God wants your heart. That's what he's saying. This is all throughout the scriptures. You just heard it from Deuteronomy. And perhaps there's no place that it's clearer than here in Luke chapter 11. And if you wanna follow along in a Bible, you can get it out. It'll come up on the screen as well. Um, But it says, Jesus was speaking. A Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. It's a little difficult to know. That's in verse 37. It's a little difficult to know exactly. Um, when we talk about the Pharisees, some of the Old Testament or some of the, um, the, the documents from that era that are talking about the Pharisees, some of them are written by Pharisees that want to make themselves look good. Uh, some of them are written by uh, people who don't like the Pharisees so much, and they've got a little bit of an ax to grind perhaps with the Pharisees. So it's a little tricky to figure out exactly um, about the Pharisees. And you've also got that it was, they, they were a movement from about 150 to about 150, something like that, 250, 300 years, somewhere in there. 
and um, kind of got subsumed into um, this rabbinic movement in about 150 or 130, something like that. But so you got about these 300 years. And so things changed over time. And so it's important when we think about the Pharisees to go, okay, wh- what, what's happening in this moment? The word Pharisee comes from this word, uh, an Aramaic word that means separate. And so the Pharisees, what we do know is that they thought they should live separate. Not It started out like separate from worldly pleasures and separate from the world, but um, they were also, they thought they were separate from all the other God followers. They thought they were, if I can use the word, better than the other followers of God. So verse 37, Jesus was speaking. A Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at table. Verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. They were astonished that Jesus didn't go and wash before dinner. And it's not just like if you're sitting at a dinner table and a kid goes, you know, and wipes his nose and then digs in for the chips and salsa and gets his hand through. It's not just that. It's not a hygienic thing. This is a moral purity thing that he's talking about. Because you would go and you would sit down to eat and think about like the priests as they would go in and, uh, and they would offer sacrifices. There was a specific spot. They would dip their hands and cleanse their hands. What they are saying in that moment is the hands are the place of actions. And what they are saying is um, purify me for my sinful actions. It's a sign of purity. And you would do that because you've got all these really holy, righteous, smug people that are sitting there about to eat, and they would all walk in and do this. You don't want to contaminate anybody else. It's kind of the visual of what's happening. And so they're all coming in and doing this, and the next person comes in, and then Jesus just walks right by and goes and reclines at the table with them. It is inconceivable to them that Jesus would not follow this Custom. And it says in verse 39, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? He just called the Pharisees, he just straight up called them fools. And when we think of fools, we think of somebody that's not that intelligent, and that's not what he's talking about. They would have called to mind probably Psalm 14 that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He is calling them out at the heart level to say, do you believe in God or not? Your external stuff, you're showing everybody, you're pretending you do. But boy, he cuts to the heart of it and says, your hearts are far from me. These super religious people, he's saying, I don't even think you are believers because your hearts are so far. And here in verse 41, he continues that, but give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. He's essentially reiterating what he said that the alms giving you do should be from, from a heart that loves God and that loves people. So um, if you remember Matthew chapter six, there's three things he rebukes the Pharisees for. He says, the Pharisees like to go out and they like to pray and make sure, is everybody watching? Yes. And they like to pray like this and make sure everybody is watching. And he says, you have your reward in full. You just want to make sure everybody sees you. They got it. You'll get your applause. And that's it. And then the other thing is fasting that he says, you Pharisees go out and you fast and you just look awful as you do it. So people will come up and go, oh, what's wrong? Oh, no big deal. I'm just fasting. I'm so holy and righteous and wonderful. I am fasting. You're calling attention to your pious deeds. And the other one he has is he says, almsgiving, when you give to the poor. 
And um, there were actually stories where Pharisees would go up to give to the poor and they would have followers that would go and bring other people up so they could demonstrate charity. And really what they're doing is they're trying to go, let's make sure I get an audience before I actually do this. And then there's, there's stories that have Pharisees, this is awful, that would have a poor person going like this and they would get out coins for them and they would drop them instead on the ground so they'd have to pick them up. You know why? Because they loved the clink, clink, clink that the coins made so heads would turn to see what happened. Oh, look at that Pharisee. Look at what he just did. He says, all those things, they're not from your heart. They're external things that you are doing. And he says, do it from your heart. Like actually love God, actually love people, not just going through the motions. And so what he's gonna do next is he's going to pronounce, you heard, you heard when it was read, three different woes, W-O-E-S, three different woes upon the Pharisees. Um, this is very consistent in the Old Testament. The prophets would do this, like Ezekiel did it, Isaiah did it. Uh, Jeremiah did it, where they would go and they wouldn't just say woe to you, they would say woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. They would pronounce three different woes upon the people. And that's what he's about to do. And I would love for you to have in your mind if somebody has ever told you that all Jesus is is just this wonderful, loving, affirming person and all he does is just go around and whatever you're doing, he just says, I just love you. And he ignores sin in your life just have that image in mind because I want you to hear what he says and contrast that image with the loving nature of Jesus, but also he says, woe to you. All right, so watch this. He gives them three woes. He's sitting with these people whose beliefs are off base and he doesn't just go, I love you. He challenges them. All right, watch this. Um, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God meaning you're giving a tithe, a tenth of the very smallest seeds of the things that come from the ground. This was in Deuteronomy 14. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. They're doing that. And then he says, but you neglect the justice and the love of God. Now, one of the ways that people sometimes think of this is they're going, wow, they're keeping all these little laws right here, but they're neglecting these big things. And the conclusion, some form, is to say, do this and don't worry about obedience in these areas. And you'll see that is not what Jesus is saying. Okay, let me say it again. They're tithing all these little things, and he says, but you neglect, another gospel, it says, you neglect the weightier things of the law. You neglect the love and the justice of God. He's saying, you're missing it on these big things. So some say, yeah, we should just do that and not worry about that. But that is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, just keep reading. It says, these you ought to have done. You, you should have done these. These are good things that you did without neglecting the others. In other words, he's saying all of it. He's not doing this. Eh, feel free to do this. Don't worry about this. He's saying all of it is obedience to me. But it's interesting, isn't it? The tithing of things he's talking about can be done externally with a fake heart. But when he talks about the justice and the love of God, the idea here is there's something deep down within you that we have a God that desires justice and that moves our heart to do the same that we have a God who loves us. And so naturally we are moved by that love to love others. He's saying, you got the external stuff, but you're missing the source. You're missing the heart and God wants your 
heart. And the other thing that he's saying too is, you know, you've got all these different things. If they had been doing these and say they'd been keeping the love and justice of God, oh, great, well, that's in the good category. You're doing all those then. There's going to be other things that he could have said you are not doing. We cannot keep the law of God perfectly. That's one of the things the Pharisees thought. They thought if we, just, if we were just more righteous, if we just memorized everything in the Old Testament, if we just did it perfectly, then Christ is obligated, or God is obligated to fulfill promises to us. Then we will usher in the kingdom. Then Rome will fall. They had this whole thing that they had about what would happen if they were just more righteous. And Jesus is going, man, you are killing on these little things, but you're missing stuff. The gospel says you can't possibly keep it all. Christ did, Christ came, Christ died. And here is Jesus Christ in front of them and they are still trying to keep it all thinking that somehow it earns them a place with God. And Jesus is saying, no, do it. Be obedient, but you can't earn it. That's woe number one. God wants their heart. Woe to you, Pharisees. Number two, woe number two, verse 43. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. This one I was alluding to here already. Pharisees loved the adoration. They loved the praise that they would get for their piety. They would get these seats of honor in the synagogues. People would walk up in the markets and greet them with this reverence of respect. And in the market, like this place where there's this hustle and bustle, people are around and they get to have people, um, they, they have others watch them get these greetings from people in the community. They loved it. They claimed they served God, but they just fed off the acclaim of other people. They fed off the respect. They fed off the applause that they got. This is really big in some Christian circles, by the way. This is why, as a Christian, it's pretty hard to be genuine. If we feed off the applause that people give us, feed off of, wow, you're such a nice guy. Look how you treat your spouse. Look at your kids. Uh, look at how holy and wonderful and righteous and nice and kind and giving and all these things that you are, then it becomes hard to go, let me be transparent and tell you that I'm not actually okay. That I am because of Christ, but just as me as an individual, hmm got some rough edges. It's hard to do that. In fact, the more praise that you get or the more you're seen in that role of like some, some um, Christian that sort of has it all together that lives this Christian life, the harder it can be to be transparent with people. You know some of the hardest people that, um, to have actual transparent community with other Christians is? Pastors. Because we're supposed to stand up here. We're supposed to talk big, we're supposed to act like everything's okay. And the reality is, and many of you know this, I'm a lot like you. I've got my brokenness. I've got my rough edges. I'm called to stand up and do this. It is hard generally to find people that you can be transparent with. I do have to tell you, it has been a good shift for me coming from Dallas where I lived to Colorado. It has been good to be able, I'm not about to confess anything, by the way. feels like I'm building up to something. I'm sorry. I was just realizing that. Like if some of you are like, oh my God, what's coming? No, 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 I don't have anything. I'm simply saying I'm grateful because here, um, um, it is, there's something about the spirit of this congregation that helps me and my wife to just be very open and very transparent about here's where we are and here's the great stuff and let me and, you know, spur you on and then here, here's, the, here's the spots where we could use some encouragement. Here's some struggles for us. Here's the place where God is growing us. It's a very, very important 
to have. And so there's some people probably here that may be seen as elevated a bit in the community, and it's difficult to be transparent. I just want to encourage you. It is a beautiful burden to unload, to express your imperfections to somebody that loves you. Woe number three. Woe to you, for you, ouch, are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. You're like unmarked graves, you Pharisees, because people walk over them without, without even realizing it. Unmarked graves, you can picture, you know, you're walking over it, and when a grave is unmarked, if you were near a grave or touched a grave, you were unclean for a week, according to Numbers 19. The Pharisees are claiming to be clean. People are coming to them, and the reality is they are actually polluting them in their minds. But they're coming to you, and they're leaving thinking they're clean, but they're actually not. What he's saying to them over and over is that our externals are never enough. If your goal is moral perfection and there's no heart change, you will absolutely fail. But the gospel says you and I are forgiven in Christ. Now, I'll make another comment. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's coming without comment. Now, the lawyers get involved. I'll just let you do with that whatever you want to do. Look at this. The scribes or the lawyers here that would teach and copy and interpret the law for the Jewish people. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. These experts in the Mosaic law are now going, Jesus, you don't understand. You just insulted the Pharisees, but don't worry, Pharisees, I've got your back. I'm a lawyer, a scribe, we'll see in a minute. Um, when you insulted them, you also insulted us. And I'm sure he went like this, waiting for Jesus to apologize. And guess what he had for them? You want some of this? I got three woes for you too. Woe to the lawyers also. That's his response. Woe to the lawyers also. And listen to what they do. You load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Here's what they do. See if you know any Christians like this. This is what the law says. This is what you should do. I know it's difficult, but I'm gonna put this burden on you. You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. Well, Jim, are you doing that? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. It's way too hard. <laughs> Woe number two. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets. I'll explain this one. Whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. What he's saying is, um, in the Old Testament, the word of God would come to people and the ancestors of these people he's speaking to killed the prophets. They ignored the messenger of God. They ignored the word of God. And their Jewish ancestors that would lead up to these guys have built the tombs where they would lay. And so you've got them going, your ancestors did this. You built the tombs. They rejected the word of God. When, they, when he'd have to send a prophet to go and rebuke them, and he's saying, you built their tombs. And in a sense, um, you, know, you, you could say it like this, that your ancestors killed the prophets and you buried them, that they neglected the word of God. What he is essentially saying is the Old Testament, as you have seen it, the law of God to that time, you have changed it so much that it is unrecognizable. You have taken the word of God through the prophets and twisted it, and so you are guilty as they are. They neglected the word of God and here I am right in front of you and you are doing it again by rejecting me. 
That's what he's saying. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. He's not saying all the murders of the past are going to be charged against that generation um, in, in the way we might think of it. What he is saying is what I mentioned earlier, that the word of God was rejected and the prophets were rejected, the messengers were rejected, and it is building up and culminating right now the murdering of Christ will happen in that generation. The way the prophets were killed, so this generation, that generation would kill Christ. And here's what it says, verse 51. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Let me give you a little aside for just a moment. If you're wondering how do we get the books of the Old Testament, he actually just said it. But it's hard to see. They would have gotten it, but it's hard for us to see. What he just said is everything. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the prophets. And he says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. So the Old Testament, as they had it in that time, there was from Genesis, and it was actually different order from how we have it now, to Second Chronicles. And the first murder in the Old Testament was of Abel, and the last one in that sequence was Zechariah recorded in 2 Chronicles. And then they had all these other books that were written as well. And what Jesus is saying here is everything in the Old Testament, everything that pointed to me, all the word of God from the Old Testament, the prophets that you rejected, the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying that from Genesis to 2 Chronicles, now what we have Genesis to Malachi, we've reorganized it. That is the Old Testament inspired word of God. All right, so what Jesus is doing here is what we call canonizing the Old Testament by giving historical markers to say everything written in here that you have, this Bible that you have, this Old Testament that you have, this is the true word of God. Woe number three. Woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. You guys are supposed to be interpreters of the law, the truth of God, and you are not. You're supposed to disseminate knowledge of the salvation of God, but instead you're removing the key of knowledge, meaning they are changing it. You are teachers, he's saying, and you're blowing it. You are not giving them the information you're trying to give them. The one verse, I know I shouldn't say this, the one verse that if God said, Jim, feel free to take, it, take one verse out of your Bible. Um, in James, it says, not many of you should aspire to become teachers because you know you who do will incur stricter judgment. These people are supposed to be teaching God's truth and they're lying about it. They're not keeping it themselves. Their hearts are so far from him is what he's saying. Let me just tell you, we live in this culture right now when you're sitting with a group of people talking about the deep things of God. Know that people are there listening for somebody to say something. Right or wrong, doesn't really matter. I want somebody that wears the badge of Christian to say something to affirm what it is I already believe. You might say 50 things and then you say one little thing and they go, ooh, I'm gonna grab onto that one and it's going to affirm something that I believe. When you are sitting and having conversations about God, please get it right. People are listening to us. People are listening to us. 
Well, as you can imagine, they didn't like this very much. It says, he went away from there. The scribes and Pharisees began to press on him and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. And here's what happened. In the meantime, when so many thousands of other people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, these are the people coming to hear Jesus, probably going, you gotta come see these guys that really just stuck it to the Pharisees. This is great, come on. And crowds are just coming. Like, I can't believe, finally somebody said it to them. I can't stand those guys. And here they come and they're just like, who is this? And they're coming to hear Jesus. And he said to his disciples first, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's saying their error will eventually be found out. Look in verse two. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The reality is that in our Christian life, we can maybe sometimes be a little pharisaical. We can be like the Pharisees. Maybe we can be like the scribes, the lawyers in this particular instance. God, I'm doing all the right stuff, but my heart is so far from you. God, I'm really good at telling everybody else what to do because I, I, I know this, so I know right and wrong. I know what to tell people to do, but my heart is far from you. Pharisees would be if um, people ask how everything's going, and I mean, sometimes you just don't want to get into it or you don't want to share with that person, but if there's nobody in your life that you can't just go, not so great. Not so great. You, you might have to look at your heart and say, is it because I'm, get, I'm trying to keep up appearances so much that if I actually tell somebody, I'm not, I'm not doing that great right now. If you really let them in, is there something that's really difficult for you? What you're doing externally might be good and don't stop doing that. That's not what Jesus is saying, but he's saying, give them your heart. Can I just tell you, if this is you, just be transparent. Try it. Find some good, loving, wonderful, trusting people and just, just start just a little bit and just share what's really going on. Because I can just tell you, as someone who's lived this and lived at my last church like around people that this was probably the predominant sin was everything's great, everything's wonderful. We know how to do all the external stuff, but our hearts are far from him. It is exhausting. And eventually what Jesus just said is it'll be found out. Better to just come and say, this is me. And if there's people here, maybe more like the scribes that are pretty good about telling others, you know, hey, I know all the right stuff. Great, start doing it. Start living in obedience. It's hard because then we have to, it, it's like if I tell other people what to do, there's a control element to that. And this really the gospel message says, I am not in control. I'm giving control to God. I'm gonna let him be the one in charge. He's a way better God than I am. This is God being in control instead of me being in control. But this, is really, this is really hard. You ever, um, you ever proclaimed one thing and then done another thing? Or you ever found yourself like giving advice? I've done this before. I'll be sitting there with Nikki and I'll be giving advice to somebody and I just don't wanna look at her because I'm sure she's like, really? You're telling them to do that? Or I had one the other time. Oh, they're not in here this hour, I'll tell you. Um, I remember... Uh, I remember talking well, well, to one of my kids. I remember going, be nice to your sister. Like with that tone, like be kind. I mean, be kind. 
That's what the lawyers are doing. And if that's you to just go, God, change my heart. If you're in that camp, if you're in the other camp, to just say, God, change my heart. God wants our hearts. Tony Evans tells a story I wanted to share with you, and then we'll, we'll close with this. Um, he says, there's a story of a woman who had a husband who kept a list. The list contains 25 things he wanted her to do in order to be a good wife for him. Every day, he took out the list and checked off the things that she completed. Cooking, check. Cleaning, check. Care of the kids, check. At the end of the day, he would let her know how she scored. Uh, 23 out of 25, that's a pretty good day. 21 out of 25, maybe you could step it up tomorrow a little bit. This woman was, you could probably fill in the blank, miserable. She was miserable because she didn't marry to be tied to a checklist. Not that the things she did as a wife weren't important, but she just had higher hopes for this covenant relationship. After a number of years, the husband died, and the woman felt a weight lifted from her shoulders because, listen, she had been performing for years. She'd been doing her duty and hating every minute, even though the duties themselves weren't innately bad. Sometime later, the same woman fell in love with a new man, a man who had no lists. He told this woman that all he wanted to do was love her. He wanted her to wake up in the morning knowing that he loved her. In the middle of the day, he wanted to be able to call and remind her that he loved her. At night, before they went to bed, he wanted to reassure her that he loved her. He wanted his love for her to be her every waking thought of her day. He wanted her to know his love, not his lists. One day, she was cleaning the house with this new husband, and she opened up a drawer and she saw a piece of paper. And it was the list from her first husband. She began to laugh pretty loud when she realized that everything written down, all 25 duties were happening effortlessly in her new marriage. Everything she had hated doing out of requirement by the first husband she was doing for the second husband and loving it. All the second husband had was love. It brought joy to this woman, to her home, and all that she did for it. She was overpowered by love. God wants your heart. Father, um, there are going to be moments, perhaps, where we will slip into being like the Pharisees, or being like these scribes and lawyers, Father. We do pray that you would keep those times as infrequent as possible, and we prayerfully ask that they are far from us. And God, when we do slip into those moments, into that sin, would we turn back to you and be reminded again of your grace?